0: Okay, so please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, and just a very brief recap. We ended last week with the death, the martyrdom, the execution of Stephen, and I showed you from Acts seven fifty five. but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. On top of him being filled with the Holy Spirit, which would picture his anointing, he's also speaking, I think anyway, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I say that because some people will question this triune appearance of our great God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this man was filled with the Holy Ghost, and looking up steadfast into heaven, he sees the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is a great scripture to go to for the trinity of God. And like I said last time, Acts the Apostles is not... Strictly speaking, a doctrinal book. It is a historical book, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit, so there's no question as to what he is seeing or what he is saying, hence why Dr. Luke writes down his exact words. So with his death, we left it last week with Saul of Tarsus being introduced into the picture. A very angry man, filled with rage and zeal, and I have to say it, that no doubt the devil was behind Saul of Tarsus for many years, and the Lord said that... Such people would arise and treat you with contempt, persecute you, and even put you to death. And this man, Saul of Tarsus, was no exception. And last time, as I say, we left it with Stephen on his knees, about to be put to death, offering no resistance whatsoever, unlike certain groups around the world today. And he's very much in the will of the Lord. So let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in Acts chapter 8. I hope the Lord will bless this message. In verse 1, please. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the reasons of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Great persecution because of Saul of Tarsus, being driven by zeal and fury. No doubt the devil behind that. And yet behind the devil is Almighty God. And that does sound like a contradiction, but it's not. There was an account back in the Old Testament where David was told by the Lord to number the people of Israel. And yet in other parts of the Old Testament it says the devil tempted David to number the people of Israel. And sometimes you will get into a situation where you can't work out whether it's the devil who's coming at you or the Lord is coming at you. No doubt this early church, we're not sure as to what was going on here, but this man is persecuting the church at Jerusalem, which I'm going to call the First Church of Jerusalem, and please understand one thing that there are no Catholics in the Book of Acts, there are no Protestants in the Book of Acts, there are no Greeks in the Book of Acts. All you are getting thus far anyway are saved Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Messianic believers to be precise in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles are going to stay put the apostles. Can't abandon the ship. If you find a, a captain who abandons his ship, he's not worth tuppence, but they are gonna stay put because Jerusalem is a mother church. Jerusalem is the headquarters of such a place. In fact, if you go to First Corinthians, please, first Corinthians chapter fifteen, Paul would speak about this event some years later, and he says in First Corinthians fifteen, verse nine, If I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me, that's a true statement, I am the least of all the apostles, and also from verse 8, born out of one in due time, in other words he wasn't the first to be called by the Lord, he got saved later, he persecuted the church of God, he did it through ignorance, But he goes on to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Please go back to Acts chapter 8. But if you read these verses very carefully, persecution, verse 1, forces people to go out further afield. The focus thus far has been in Jerusalem. And like I said last time, we are looking at around 20,000 saved people. Dr. Luke told us that there was around 8,000 saved people. And if that includes just the men which is quite possible it would do then you have to include the women and the children to get the figure of around twenty thousand, which demonstrates the logistics must have been enormous i mean you must have had hundreds of house churches all over jerusalem meeting every day breaking bread praising the lord having a great time of fellowship and yes the temple would have been used as well there were many rooms in the jewish temple which could have been used by the church leaders to have meetings we read of simeon back in the Gospel of Luke and Anna back in the Gospel of Luke, and these two individuals were very busy using the temple to meet and worship. But here, Saul was consenting unto his death. We can't say for sure whether Paul ever put someone to death himself directly, but no doubt he would have done so indirectly. And if you go back through history, you're going to struggle to find Adolf Hitler putting anybody to death physically, but he put people to death through the pain, through his writings. The same is true of Maybe Charles Darwin through his writings, Karl Marx through his writings, Joseph Stalin perhaps may have put some people to death physically. He was a criminal before he arrived on the scene. But the power of the pain can really do great damage. But here soul of Tarsus was consenting unto his death in reference to Stephen, of course. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. Singular. The body of Christ is spoken of in the singular And yet the body of Christ is diverse. There are groups within groups. And uh, today we are meeting live. We are streaming this message live. There are different groups of people listening to this message live. This message will be recorded. And will be streaming on the radio. And will be posted on the internet. And there will be groups within groups within the body of Christ. Singular. That will be listening to this message. So we are diverse. And as I said last time, that is a strength, not a weakness. But the Holy Spirit wants the Gospels to move beyond Jerusalem. Salvation was of the Jews. That's true. John chapter 4. But salvation has to go to the ends of the earth. And that's why the Lord made it very clear. Back in John chapter 6. How he had sheep that were not of this flock. In reference to the Jews. First of all. But only the Gentiles. And if you speak to a Mormon. They will say that. That is in reference to them. Which of course is incorrect. It is in reference to the Gentiles. Which are going to be saved. Later on down the line. So this persecution is going to force the Jews out of Jerusalem. And they're going to go into Judea. And Samaria. But the Apostles. As you would expect, are going to stay put because they're not going to abandon their ship. The mothership, the headquarters being Jerusalem, of course, they're going to stay put and put up with great persecution, I might add. Verse 2, please. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. I made great lamentation over him. Mourning, not grieving, and a burial, not a cremation. You can mourn the death of a loved one if they are saved. If they're not saved, that's a different story. If they're not saved, maybe you will grieve but if they died in the Lord, you should be mourning, not grieving. Three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women committed them to prison. The church singular again, but house, hailing men and women, committing them to prison, does give the picture, does it not, of groups then groups, meeting in people's homes, and I think the early church found very clear here, meeting in homes is going to be duplicated very much in the last days, I think the Church system, as we see it around the world, these mega-churches are very much a thing of the past. You may find some churches which are meeting in the hundreds or the thousands, which honour the King James Bible, teach once saved, always saved, teach the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ, teach the desire to win souls to the Lord Jesus Christ, but for the most part, they are the exception, not the norm. But Saul, making havoc of the church, entering into every house. There's that picture again, houses, plural, and yet... Still in reference to the church singular. And he's hailing men and women committing them to the prison. He's now a specter of persons. And this man was a formidable enemy against the church. And that's why the Lord got him saved and turned him. As I say in the espionage world. He turned him. But you won't get that clearly until the next chapter. And this prison, no doubt, affiliated to the Jewish temple. Was a holding area, a detention centre of some kind. And they're going to be persecuted, interrogated and maybe put to death. And that, in a sense, without wanting to stretch it too much, pictures Hades, the first death, found in your Bible as hell. you go into to the ground, you're not saved, and you are in great torment, persecuted, suffering in flames, wanting water, wanting light, wanting answers to your prayers. And the Lord says, no, you had all your good things in this life. You can't pass to us, we can't pass to you. You're going to stay put until the second death. And here, this early church, on the one hand, is spreading like wildfire. If you go back to 40 BC you won't find any Christians anywhere in the world but when you get to 40 AD you've got around 20,000 saved people incredible in fact if you go back even before 40 AD to 32 AD or 33 AD or 34 AD or 35 AD you're getting hundreds going into the early thousands being saved there's something very special about biblical Christianity and on top of that it spreads through love It spreads through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We don't force our beliefs on anyone. We don't tell people that unless they get saved, they will lose their heads. No, we don't force our beliefs on anybody, but we do plead to people. We were told back in the Gospel of Luke to compel those to come in to be saved. We articulate the plan of salvation. We take the time to go into our towns and cities to preach the word of God to unsaved folks. We don't sit back and wait for folks to come to us. We go to them. The emphasis is on the... Save man or woman going to their local towns and cities, so on and so forth, and winning souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we are told back in the book of Proverbs, how that he that winneth souls is wise. For, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Mark 16, going to all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. So you're saved by believing On the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are condemned. You are damned. By not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why you were told in Revelation 21. There's a group of sins which are listed. And one of those sins is unbelief. Unbelievers. Cowards. People that won't bend the knee. People that refuse to confess Christ. As their saviour. For fear of man. Are going to be consigned to eternal hell. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And yet the fear of man bringeth a snare. But these people are scattering abroad, and Philip be one of these individuals. He's being pushed out by this great persecution. I don't think he's fleeing for fear of his life. I don't think he's a coward, but he's being pushed out of Jerusalem to take the word of God to different parts of the Roman Empire. And we were told that won't be we, back in Matthew 10. If they reject the word of God in this town or that town, shake off the dust from under your feet and go to the next town. What do they say? There's many more fish in the sea. How very true that is. Verse 5, please. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He preached Christ unto them. He didn't preach religion. He didn't say, Come to our church next week and experience a great worship service. He didn't promote his pastor or pastoress. He didn't say, We have a great church. Come along and do religion with us. No. Philip went down to Samaria, which in times past had been slightly isolated from mainstream Israel and preached. Christ unto them. I love that. He preached the Lord Jesus Christ to the people of Samaria. And you find that back in John chapter four, with the Lord and the woman at the well. And she's interested in the word of God, but she's not quite there, and he's speaking to her in spiritual terms, and she's responding in physical terms, and he doesn't deal with her physical needs, he deals with her spiritual needs. And here, this great persecution has forced the apostles out of their comfort zone, being Jerusalem, to Samaria. And he's going to preach the Lord Jesus Christ unto them. And I've read gospel tracts, which aren't really gospel tracts, and they promote their church, they promote their apostles, their prophets, and there are no prophets or apostles today, I might add, and they push everything and everyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always say this, if you come across a gospel tract which doesn't have the plan of salvation, get rid of it. If you read a Bible tract which can't tell you how to be saved there and it's not worth the paper it's written on. 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. It's like Stephen... They saw and heard the miracles which he did. This man's anointed. He's saved, of course, by an imputed righteousness. He's been given the Holy Spirit's anointing to do what he does. But on top of that, he's got the Jewish apostolic sign gifts. This man was unique. Along with Stephen and perhaps Agabus, we'll read about him later on in Acts, this man has a Jewish apostolic sign gifts. And on top of that, you won't find any women anywhere in the book of Acts doing miracles. And that's not a chauvinistic statement, that's a biblical statement. And it says one more time from verse 6, How the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and on top of that, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now sometimes miracles in the word of God resulted in people being saved, other times it did not. One of the greatest miracles is found in John chapter 11, when the Lord resurrects Lazarus from the dead. There would have been many Jews around at that point in time. He was a very popular man, Lazarus, a very wealthy man. And he was a saved man, along with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And the Lord goes up after waiting back for several days, as you know the account. And he does that deliberately to make the miracle even greater. And he arrives after Lazarus had been dead four days. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And of course, you know that had he not said Lazarus, all the dead would have come forth. But beyond that, there were many Jewish leaders present during that great miracle, which couldn't be disputed. And yet only a few believed. So miracles in and of themselves don't always produce disciples or salvation. But here this early church is moving fast. This early church is filled with the Holy Spirits. And again, the Jews are entitled to see a sign. You find that very clearly back in First Corinthians chapter 1. The Samaritans were a half-breed. On the one hand, they weren't completely Jewish. And on the other hand, they weren't completely Gentile. They were looked down upon with contempt. And it's very interesting when you Look at church history, how the outcasts are the ones that get a look in. In fact, what does it tell us in First Corinthians? How the Lord doesn't choose the, the great and the bold, but how he chooses the base, those of low esteem. But let's move on, please. 7. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. Unclean spirits, plural, crying with loud voice, singular, which suggests to me that if you are possessed with unclean spirits, only one spirit will ever speak at any given time. It's pretty frightening thoughts, isn't it? And if you are saved, I don't think you can be devil-possessed or demon-possessed, but you can certainly be devil oppressed. I've been saved for 13 years, and I've had many occasions where the devil has come up against me, and he's afflicted me, and he's pressed me down, and I felt I was at the point of death. I'm not exaggerating either. There's been many times I've been really up against it, but here these unclean spirits and it it does suggest that such people as a result of being possessed suffer with the palsy and were lame. And we know back in the word of God how there was a woman who was crippled for I think 18 years, she couldn't stand up straight and the Lord said how the devil had been able to bind her for 18 plus years. So it is possible that a physical ailment could be the result of an unclean spirit. So go back through your past check yourself. Maybe when you were younger you did a Ouija boards, or you went to see a witch or you got involved with martial arts perhaps or you were allowing questionable people into your homes. I've met many people since I've been saved and we always say Patrick and I that we get a bad vibe from him or from her and that's why you'll be very careful you let into your home. But these unclean spirits are crying with loud voice that's a picture of somebody who's possessed they speak very loudly and they came out of many that were possessed with them Many taken palsies, and that were lame, were healed. That's a great picture of deliverance. And Sometimes deliverance, like I say, will lead to salvation. Other times it will not. But here, these unclean spirits are crying with a loud voice. And they came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken palsies, and that were lame, were healed. Apart from Stephen, and Philip, and Agabus, like I say, such healings were down to the apostles. But let's move on, please. Verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. I bet there was. Great joy, this apostolic group of men preaching from Jerusalem. And had I been living in Jerusalem around this time, I would have ran to the gates of Jerusalem. I want to get saved. I want to come under the authority or under the teaching of the apostles. I want to be in submission to their associates. And it is possible, as a quick footnote, that Philip and Stephen were among the 70 found back in the Gospels. Don't quote me on that. It is just possible that they were amongst the 70. That's why they were chosen from within, their community not from without. But verse 8 one last time, and there was great joy in that city. This was unprecedented. Like I said, the Samaritans were shunned. They were looked down on with contempt. And here the Lord is saying, never mind Jerusalem, the eternal city, let's go further afield. Let's get out of your comfort zones, people. Let's go into the towns. Let's go down to Skid Row. How about that? Let's go down to Skid Row. Let's preach to the down and outs. Let's preach to the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the pimps. Not easy, is it? Let's speak to homeless people, down and out people. And I think if Christians which are born again, those of us which are born again, those of us which are Bible believers, if we put ourselves out more, and I will include myself now, if we went out more often and downtown, as they say, who knows what revival we could see. But as long as we stay in our churches or our fellowships or as long as we stay in our comfort zones, don't expect revival to come. Verse nine But there was a certain man called Simon, who was before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest saying, This man is the great power of God. A clear picture of Antichrist, Simon the Sorcerer, thought of as something special in this area Samaria or Samaria, however you wish to pronounce it would have had unclean spirits attached to it. We find that back in Daniel chapter 9, I think it is, when he's praying for help, and uh, an archangel is dispatched from heaven to greet Daniel to assist him, and he has to fight against the prince of Persia. So it is possible that what we read about back in the Old Testament is having some application here in the New Testament. And I've been to towns and cities since I've been saved, and I've felt an awful presence of uncleanness. I think one city that i've worked in many times over the years is manchester and i've gone to manchester and i felt a heavy feeling a a feeling of oppression and we've worked in our own town over the years and we've seen people and we've seen things which are difficult to explain and maybe if i get a chance i'll speak about that before the end of this broadcast but here simon sorcery samaria something special this man is a great power of god he's an antichrist. he's almost a type of the pope these people look up to such a person and the Holy Spirit has arrived in Samaria through Philip, of course. And the unclean spirits are coming out as you would expect them to do so. And they're going to kick against it. On the one hand, this suggests that something positive was about to occur. And yet, look a little deeper. Things are never as clear as they appear. 11. And to him, they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them as sorceries. You can bewitch someone through your words, through your vain philosophy. And that's why... Most times when you get to the heart of the matter, it is a heart problem. Your heart is desperately wicked. Your head tells you that something is so, but your heart refuses to believe. Your heart wants to embrace a lie because your heart is desperately wicked. Your heart needs to be circumcised. So these people have been under the bondage to this man for a long time. He's something special. He's a local high priest, if you will, a witch doctor, perhaps, a shaman, I think they call them, a type of the Antichrist, and here this battle is about to commence, 12. But when they believe Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Probably in reference to Matthew 28, to baptise someone in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. They hear Philip preaching the word of God, they believe, faith alone, and they get baptised, men and women, or I think the formula found in Matthew 28. Let me say this very briefly, if I may, that, This is a true evangelist. An evangelist, in the biblical sense, is someone who goes out by faith. He preaches to men and women in this community, or this particular community. And as he's preaching to men and women in his chosen community, where he was sent out in the first place, they hear the gospel, they get saved, they get baptized, and he stays with them. He teaches them the word of God, he builds them up. But today's evangelist, so-called, is somebody who goes from church to church, preaching to the choir, selling tapes and DVDs, I'm making a great living out of being a so-called evangelist. But that's not what an evangelist is. An evangelist, as I say, is somebody who goes into a town by faith, not knowing what to expect. And this would have taken great faith on the part of Philip. I don't know if he'd been to Samaria before. Maybe he had, maybe he had not. But he wasn't sure what was going to occur. It could have gone either way. I mean, his friend Stephen had been put to death in the previous chapter. And as quickly as one man falls, Stephen, another man is replacing him. One saint falls, another saint is chosen to replace him. For service, of course, not salvation. But it says here in 12, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The kingdom of God is physical and spiritual, and here Philip is preaching the spiritual side of the kingdom of God to be saved, to await the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, I don't think Philip knew when the Lord was going to come back like I said last time, this man, and we'll pick it up in the next broadcast, is going to preach to the first Gentile. It wasn't Peter, it wasn't Paul that would preach to the first Gentile. It's going to fall to Philip. And yes, we know that the Ethiopian eunuch was a proselyte. He converted from his Gentile background to Judaism. But he's still a Gentile, so don't think it fell to Peter or Paul, no. It would fall to Philip, a man Filled with the Holy Spirit. Doing signs and wonders. And on top of that you can't argue from scripture that Philip was a deacon. Or Stephen for that matter. And I've heard many Catholics and Protestants arguing that Philip was a deacon. Along with Stephen from Acts chapter 6. But I don't believe that. A deacon doesn't do miracles. A deacon cannot cast out unclean spirits. A deacon doesn't turn a town upside down. A deacon is someone who is found within a typical church, assisting the pastor or the pastors. And I'll say this also in the final moments, that for me, Philip is a true evangelist. What Stephen began, Philip is going to complete, and you're going to see the continual growth of the early church. These first chapters are showing the birth and development of the early church. If we go back to the Old Testament. The first few books show the birth and the growth of a nation. This man is going to preach get people saved, heal such individuals and also deal with satanic attack, satanic influence. And i say this very finely that. I think when he arrived in Samaria, the devils were kicking against him. They were coming against him. And if you preach in your town or city, and I mean preach, don't just you know hold an easy to go sign up, uh, an easy sort of sign up, uh, a bland sign up. If you're really preaching a hard message, if you're really getting into people's faces, the devil's going to come at you. And I've seen people in my town walking past me week in week out praying against me and I feel that many times I think Patrick has as well that you feel very exposed when you are on the street doing street work and people are praying against you they are praying for you to fail they are praying for you to depart and they are praying for the word of God to fall flats on its face we know from the word of God how no weapon that is formed against us can prosper so I'm out of time for today's broadcast and uh, we will finish in verse 12 with the triune baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not what you found in Acts chapter 2, being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, next time we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 13.